Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. This is the calm before the storm. Um, lots of snow coming into the area, and, and I understand this is Wisconsin, and the forecast for extreme southeastern Wisconsin is a couple inches of snow. If you get further north, it's going to be worse. It's a heavy, wet snow. Um, we, we will get through that. The big problem is going to be that for the first time all year, we're looking at an extended cold snap, and I'm just looking at the 10-day forecast, and um, starting tomorrow, the bottom kind of falls out of temperatures. I mean, forget, forget about wind chill for a minute, but if you look at the extended forecast between, well, tomorrow through a week from Saturday, you're talking about high temperatures in the low teens and low temperatures you know, below zero. In some cases, you know, up to like five or six below zero in the evenings, and that's before you even get the wind into account. Again, the, the only good news about this is that we're already you know, into February, and by the time this cold snap breaks, it's probably going to be mid-February or something like that, and then, you know, it's daylight hours are starting to increase, and we're getting closer to spring. So you knew this was going to happen, so just have to kind of get through it. Hey, here's my daily update on I Hope You Got Out. Last week, we talked about the feeding frenzy in the stock market involving a couple um, very thinly traded stocks, most notably GameStop. GameStop is, of course, the, the video game seller that's based out of malls, and the stock has a value around 15 bucks. The, ostensibly, that's what it should be worth. That's kind of what it was trading in. Um, it, the, you sell video games. Um, you sell them at malls. It, it's not exactly a growth sort of industry. But what happened is a bunch of people on the Internet kind of banded together and started talking up the stock. Let's buy it. Let's buy it. Let's buy it. They went onto a couple of these trading platforms where they could buy the stock without having to pay commissions for it. So let's buy it. Let's buy it. Let's buy it. And let's let's keep paying more and more money for it. They heard a couple short sellers, but the bottom line is they, they started buying stuff without any regard to what the underlying stock was worth, which is like going to Las Vegas and taking a bunch of money and going to the roulette table and, and putting it on black or putting it on a red or, or, or whatever. At least, though, like I say, in Las Vegas, you get a drink and a show. When you do that, um, when you're playing the stock market, you know, who knows? So the story was all oh, these young people are making all this money on this. The stock, like I say, that's worth objectively about 14 bucks if you look at the fundamentals of the company. Last Thursday, a week from today, a week ago today, it hit its high of 480 $83 based on nothing to do with the fundamentals of the company or what it's worth, just this frenzy about people saying, we're going to pick the stock and we're going to spend money on the stock regardless of what it's worth. And you remember there were stories about, hey, I, I got in early on and I, I made all this different money. Well, okay, that's all well and good, but we're starting to see the flip side of that. Just a couple minutes ago, I checked the stock right now, or at least about an hour ago, was trading for $65 a share. So it went up to 483 last Thursday. Now it is down to 65 and my guess is it's going to continue to, to drop till it gets back to where it really should be, which is like around 14 bucks. So if you're one of those people 
that I guess bought it at 200 and decided that, hey, I'm going to get out when it hits 300 or 350 and you were able to find somebody to buy your shares, that, that's all well and good. You made some money. But the other side of the story is you had a lot of people who undoubtedly were a little bit late to the party, came in, bought it at 300 because they were reading all this stuff saying, hey, this is going to go to 1,000. We're going to make all this money. So they bought it at 300, didn't know when to get out, and now they're watching their money just disappear as it goes down, again, to closer what the valuation is. Just th- This underscores the, the dangerousness of trying to do something like this. Like I say, it's not investing. It, it's gambling. Now, the flip side of this is sometimes people do benefit. One of the other stocks that was the subject of this kind of market manipulation was the local stereophone maker, Koss Corporation. And, you know, Koss, well, had been trading in a very, very narrow range for, you know, quite a quite a while. Um, and then, you know, what happened is the... the this, that stock got identified as well. The stock had never traded above $5 a share in the last five years. Never been over 5 bucks a share. Well, the same people that were manipulating game stock decided, let's pick on costs. And so they started doing the same thing with costs, buying stock without regard to what it's worth. Um, and the, the stock ended up peaking at $127 a share late last week. Now, this is a stock that's worth about $5 a share. Well, as you might expect, that the stock is now going down and it's coming back to earth. Now, the interesting thing is the most of the stock is owned by the cost family or by other people that work at the company, and they have to file declarations if they're going to sell the stock. That's what the rules are. If you're an insider and you sell the stock, you, you have to disclose it, and then it becomes public. The reason for that is because... You want outside investors to know if there's people in the company that are dumping the company stock. It's it just it's the way it works. Well, the story in the Journal Sentinel is that a lot of the insiders, the family and some of the other people who work there, um, they, they started selling big time on Monday and Tuesday and uh, netted, well, let's see, Michael Koss sold stock for $12.8 million. John C. Koss, Jr., $16.6 million. Michael Koss, uh, $3.66 million. Um, so, you know, they recognize that this stock, is, we own all the stock. All of a sudden, it's been manipulated to these really high levels. Tell you what, we're going to get out and we're going to take our dough. So they were able to get out. Now, for other people who decided, hey, we're just going to continue to ride this out, you don't know what it's going to look like. And my guess is it's, it's pretty ugly. Bottom line is, you know, you're either going to invest or you're going to gamble. And for the people who thought that um, GameStop game was a good gamble last week, okay, fine. Hope you got off the merry-go-round before it inevitably came back to earth. All right, when we come back, there's a column in USA Today that suggests what CBS should do with the Super Bowl coverage on Sunday. I want to share a portion of it with you, and we'll discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Sunday is the Super Bowl. And, of course, without the Packers in it, I think around here, the, the interest level drops off dramatically. Nevertheless, it it's, continues to be year after year the most watched event 
of the year. It will draw huge audiences. Even people who aren't football fans will, will watch it because, again, you want to talk about it at the water cooler, talk about it with your friends. In addition, there's all sorts of other stuff that goes on, including the commercials. You know, every year since I've been doing this radio show, you, you, you do a segment on Monday about the commercials, the one that works, the ones that don't. My, my, my rule of thumb is for all the money these Super Bowl ads cost, millions of bucks, I want it to be an ad that is not just memorable, but I want it to be an ad that is memorable about for what the product is. You know, year after year, we will have these conversations, and I'll open up the phone lines, and somebody will call in and they'll say, well, I thought that ad with the dog and the guy was really, really cute. You know, the one where they were chasing the car? And I'll say, yeah, what, what, what was the ad for? And there'll be a pause, and they'll say, I just, you know, truth is, I don't remember what that was for. I, I just, like I say, it's one thing to come up with cute ads. All I'm saying is if I was advertising, if WTMJ decided to spend that money to advertise the Jeff Wagner show, well, I, I'd want to make darn sure that at the end of that commercial, everybody knew that that was an ad for the Jeff Wagner show as opposed to, huh, spent all this money, and yeah, it was really, really clever and creative, but we don't know what they were pushing. But anyways, people watch it for the ads. People watch it for the things. There's all the different what they call proposition bets that are out there, not just bets on who's going to win the game, but the who's going to win the coin flip and what's the first score going to be and who's the player that's going to score it and all those different things. So it, it becomes a social event, kind of like the Kentucky Derby is in some respects to a lesser extent. But you know, the Kentucky Derby is one of those, it's one of those events where for one day out of the year, everybody is a horse racing fan, or at least you know most people are. People have the parties, etc. So the game is going to be on CBS, and of course there'll be the coverage of the game. There'll be all the pre games, etc. All right, there's a piece in an opinion piece in USA Today that caught my attention. It's by Jared Bell, who's one of the columnists. The headline says CBS has a responsibility to set a progressive tone with its Super Bowl Fifty Five coverage. And it goes on to, first of all, rip Fox last year for their Super Bowl coverage where apparently the, the Colin Kaepernick, he says, well, Colin Kaepernick's name was never even mentioned, you know, even though it was his former team that played. So the columnist is saying it was just terrible. They didn't even mention Colin Kaepernick, and they didn't talk about the various social justice movements that had, had roiled um, the NFL last year. And so the columnist goes on to say, look, this is this year you need to have a more progressive tone. Um, the game's context includes the presence of four black coordinators. Uh, that would be offensive or defensive more than ever in a Super Bowl against the backdrop of the NFL's sorry track record for hiring minorities as head coaches. And it says, OK, what we should do is we should emphasize this. You know, what we should be doing is we should be talking about, uh, again, the Colin Kaepernick issue. We should be talking about how this Super Bowl is being conducted against the backdrop of, of the pandemic. And, of course, you had all the social justice issues and things like this. This is CBS's opportunity to strike a progressive tone and to use the Super Bowl and all the people that are going to be watching this, maybe people that otherwise wouldn't watch a football game, this is our chance or CBS's chance to, again, use this progressive tone to talk about and perhaps influence issues of the day. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to see 
the Super Bowl coverage turned into a vehicle for advancing progressive tones or, or whatever. Now, if you want to do pieces talking about, again, the, the coordinators, and if you want to do a piece talking about how there's not enough black head football coaches in the NFL, okay, I understand how that's, that's part of the story. But at the end of the day, I think the people who are going to be tuning into the Super Bowl are people who are tuning in because they, they want to break from the politics of the day. They want a break from the COVID pandemic. They want a break from the different social justice issues. There's all sorts of opportunities where network TV and the the media has an opportunity to discuss those issues. And I guess I think when you turn into the Super Bowl, what you want to do is, is you want to see the game. You want to have the discussions about, you know, can Tom Brady do this? You want to hear about the players. And obviously, in some context, social issues are going to be talked about. Hey, you know, we it could have been a lot worse. You could have lost all these Kansas City Chiefs because, you know, the guy that was going to give them the haircut, you know, turned out to have COVID. And if everybody had showed up, maybe all these people would have been exposed. So, I mean, I think, again, there's legitimate issues. They're going to touch on some of the things that are going on in the world. But do you want your Super Bowl coverage to have a progressive tone and is that CBS's responsibility? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I mean, obviously, when, when you've got like a six-hour pregame and you're, you're telling stories about some of the people who are participating in the Super Bowl, obviously, there will be certain issues that, that, that are touched on. For example, the guy's pointing out that you've got four black um, uh, coordinators, offensive and defensive, and, and that's something that's never happened before. And if you're doing stories about those guys, I understand how that's going to – you know, that's going to be one of the things you tell. But this idea of here, we, we want CBS has an obligation to use the pregame and the Super Bowl to highlight a progressive tone. I think that's going to turn off more people than it turns on. Lucy on the West Side. Lucy or WTMJ? Yeah, I suffered through too many years of right wing militarism where honoring veterans swapped over into supporting wars i certainly didn't agree with i don't want to see any politics just play football because if if we start having you know one one year it's the year of um what this guy's arguing for the next year it will be the year of we have to support the troops it's about football Right. Well, that that's it, and and that's what people are are tuning in for. And this uh, this idea that well, you know, the networks have an obligation to do this. Now, the, the networks have an obligation to provide the the escapism that is football. And, and and this isn't shut up and dribble. That that's not it. I'm not talking about the athletes' rights to express themselves or whatever. But the idea that you know right. you've got to base your coverage around here. We we have an agenda that we want to advance. Now that's not why the average Joe or or Jane is tuning in to watch the Super Bowl. They want to see who scores first or what the cutest ad is or whatever. But but I really don't want to lose the point that if there's been any politics in sports over the years, at least at these shows, it's been more from the right than the left, and I'm just, I want it all out. 
Thanks for the call, Lucy. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, I guess, and I don't want to argue with you about whether or not whether or not a, a support the troops thing or a, a recognition and doing flyovers and stuff is injecting politics into the, the thing. I, I think that's perhaps different. But again, I, I don't want to argue the point. The, the bottom line of this is I, I think you want to get politics out of sports. Now, one of the things that's going to be a subtext here is the Super Bowl this year is limited in its attendance. I, I forget, what are they going to have, about 20,000 people in the stadium? And a, a good number of those people are going to be first responders who've been, you know, in, invited to attend or healthcare professionals or whatever. So, you know, obviously some of the stories is going to be their stories. And so you're going to have conversations about COVID and things like that because you're going to be telling the stories about the people who got selected to go. And, and that's, that's all well and good. But Let's for the let's just keep politics out of this. Jeff, CBS has the responsibility to provide football entertainment. Period. No political BS. People need a break. Um, yeah, Jeff, I do not go to concerts to hear the political views of the bands or the singers, nor would I watch the Super Bowl for someone's progressive ideas. I hate to break this to people, but sometimes I just want to be entertained. Jeff, I'm not against doing the right thing. I'm just tired of hearing about one movement or another nonstop. I'd even listen to virus talk. So please, let's let sports be sports. Jeff, CBS would have a huge ratings drop for the Super Bowl if they got bogged down in social issues. People generally watch it to escape from all the tension, which is particularly needed this year, not to be reminded of it. Jeff, we have been so inundated with blanket indoctrination on things like social justice, especially involving the NFL and championed by ESPN. I don't think it's promoting goodwill. It's forcing capitulation under the threat of canceling and shaming. I say enough already. Jeff, the last thing I want to hear about on Super Bowl Sunday are various social issues, coronavirus, any other topic that people want to shove down our throats. In other words, again, it's it's not saying to the athletes you can't have an opinion. It's not saying shut up and dribble. It's saying that's not why people are tuning in to the Super Bowl to watch this. Jeff, mark me down for Netflix during the Super Bowl. Jeff, so tired of our entertainment options being hijacked to push an agenda. If somebody believes a message needs to be delivered, pay the $5.5 million that advertisers do and then deliver that. I, I agree. I think it would be a huge mistake for CBS to do it. What they do, though, you know, we'll see, and we'll discuss it on Monday. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Well, the issue, to borrow the phrase from The Sound of Music, is how do you handle a problem like Marjorie? Now, in the history of Congress... There have been good congressmen and women. There have been bad congressmen and women. There have been corrupt congressmen and women. And there have been a handful of, of kooks. And, and yes, that, that's the word I use. They're, they're kooks. You have kooks on the left, and you have kooks on the right. There are a couple of kooks on the left that are, are in Congress now. Um, the Congresswoman um, uh, Omar from Minneapolis, she's the one that has this history of violent anti-Semitism. She, she's a kook. Maxine Waters 
who has been in Congress forever. She's the one who a while back was encouraging people to go out and publicly confront Trump administration officials. You know, if you see somebody that works for the Trump administration, go up, accost them, get in their face. That's just one of several examples of just sort of the the, the kookiness that comes from some people. And, and, and Maxine Waters, I would lump her in the category of being a, a kook. All right. That's not to say that there aren't other kooks. And there's the newly elected congresswoman from Georgia who won with 74% of the vote. Her name is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And you've probably you know, heard a lot about this because Greene is a kook. And, and there's just no other way to, to say it. She's got a history of coming out with all sorts of bizarre stuff. She was, um, at one point in time, she was apparently a, a September, uh, you know, a 9-11 denier, questioning whether, you know, there was really a plane that flew into the, the Pentagon. Um, she's promoted the, the QAnon nonsense, you know, the, the stuff that, that talked about how the government was run by this global cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles. Um, she suggested that the shooting in Parkland, Florida in 2018 what was a false flag event. In other words, it was, it was a staged sort of thing. Okay, she's, she's a nutcase. And there's no question about it. And, you know, it, it goes on and on, and she was one of the, the people who just bought in hook, line, and sinker to the whole notion that the election was stolen and all that sort of stuff. But she has a history of that. Well, she was elected. She was elected by, like I say, more than 70% of the voters in her district. So now she is in Congress. The Republican leader of Congress, uh, the minority leader, has assigned her to a couple committees. All right, well, the Democrats are using her to sort of beat up on all the other Republicans. You know, it's interesting when a Maxine Waters, for example, says, well, I, I think everybody in the Trump administration should be you know, confronted publicly and, and things like that. Or when you get, again, the, the anti-Semitic stuff that comes from somebody else, nobody rushes to all the other Democrats in Congress and say, what do you think about what Maxine Waters said? Or what do you think about this or that? But with Republicans, when you have somebody who is so far out of the mainstream and who is, at least in my opinion, a nut job, what happens is all the other Republicans get asked, well, do you agree with her? What do you think? What are you going to do with her? We don't ask Democrats what they're going to do with their kind of crazy fringe. But that doesn't change the fact that, that clearly this Marjorie Taylor Greene is out there on the crazy fringe. Yesterday, the Republicans decided among themselves that they were not going to remove her from committees. You can throw somebody out of office. You, you've actually, Congress has the authority to expel people. That has historically been done extremely rarely and only in situations where there was evidence that the congressperson committed a crime. Well, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene hasn't committed any sort of, of crimes. And by the way, most of the stuff that she was saying w was known to her constituents when she ended up getting elected. You need a two-thirds vote of Congress to expel her. Well, that's not going to happen. But you only need a majority vote to remove her from her committee assignments, which is kind of a way of trying to diminish her ability to do her job. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My guess is, if it hasn't happened already, sometime soon there will be a vote in Congress and the Democrats will vote um, in lockstep 
to remove her from her committee assignments, in other words, to prevent her from doing the job that she was elected to do. And they're going to try to get as many Republicans as possible on the record, either voting in favor of removing her from her assignments or against removing her from her assignments. But then the Republicans that vote no, I think she should be able to stay on the committees. You know that that will be a wedge issue that will be used against them two years from now, trying to paint them as extremists. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let's tee this up. She's a whack job. And if anybody wants to argue that point, I'll, I'll be glad to discuss it. But I think that's where we have to start off. She's a whack job, but nevertheless, she was elected. She has not committed any sort of crimes. Should Congress be taking the position that we don't agree with your ideas, we think these ideas are kooky, so we are collectively going to prevent you from serving on any sort of committees as a way of I don't know, sending a message, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I think she's a nut job, but her constituents voted her in. My only issue is her assignment on the Education Committee to put someone on that committee who said Sandy Hook was a hoax is a huge slap in the face to every family who lost a child in that tragedy. Any committee but that one. Um, Jeff, I think um, the wedge issue will be no different than GOP candidates in recent elections using House members like AOC and Omar as web issue, wedge issues. I don't support removing her from committee assignments. I support committee chairs just ignoring her work and not assigning her anything to do. Whack job, Jeff, yes. However, like you said, people voted her in, knew all about her. It's their choice to have her there. Just another violation of the First Amendment by removing her. Jeff, normally I'd say this is a step too far, but to suggest mass school shootings of children were hoaxes is inexcusable and a step too far. Kick her off. Um, Jeff, Marjorie Taylor Greene has verbally made death threats to other elected officials stating so-and-so has done X and this is punishable by death. She has to go. That's a number of years ago. Um, that, that's With the exception of some of the election stuff, a lot of the really kooky stuff has happened before she was elected to Congress, which to me makes it even more difficult to try to discipline her because it didn't happen when she was a member. Again, I'm not justifying the, these weird I- ideas. I think she's she's an embarrassment, and she's going to be an anchor around the necks of the Republicans. The question becomes, you know, what do you do about her since she's been elected? Craig in Milwaukee. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Well, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Craig. Um, I mean, I think she is a little out there, um, but so are people in the Democrats. But I mean, Maxine Waters is a classic example. Yes, exactly. And I don't know why the Democrats keep doing things like this, because in two years, if and when the Republicans take over, what's to stop them from all of a sudden deciding to get rid of Maxine Waters off of her committee assignments? I mean, it's exactly, you know, it came back to bite him when Harry Reid changed the uh, judgeships from, you know, the two-thirds vote down to, you know, uh, 50%, and now Trump's got three um, just right. Supreme Court justices out of that. So right. why, from do the, from, 
Well, but let me ask you this. From the perspective of the Republicans, I mean, the, the Republicans could have decided to remove her from committee assignments to begin with. They could have done that yesterday and decided not to. Was that a mistake? No, not totally. I mean, people can change opinions, and that's another idea. thing is, you know, Republicans seem never to be able to change their opinions and have them accepted, where Democrats, you know, say Robert Byrd, he was a Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klanner, and, you know, right. where's, you know, look how, how much esteem he has, you know. Right. So, yeah, she probably changed her mind, you know, said, okay, I'll walk back from all of this in committee. Right. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I mean, here, here's the other problem that, that is out there. Um, if you punish her, and, and my guess is the overall vote of the House is going to be able to, is going to punish her. And I don't know that it, again, I don't know that it's so much directed at her. I don't know that that's the motivation of the Nancy Pelosi's of the world because, oh, she, she poses such a danger if she's on the Education Committee. Let, let, let's be honest. She's going to be marginalized regardless. But I think it, it's more about, you know, we want to get these Republicans on record and we want to get a vote on record so that two years from now, when we're running against, you know, so-and-so Republican, we can go into his district and we, or her district or whatever. We can run ads saying, look, this guy is an extremist. He refused to even discipline Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she's the one who thought about all this. You know, this is all about a 60-second attack ad, as opposed to, I think, any real concerns about policy, because she is a whack job, and she she's going to be marginalized regardless. Here's the other problem, though. If you discipline her, and, and this is the problem the Republicans have, is that you, you're going to make her a martyr. There's just no question about it, because if she's stripped of her committee assignments, there, there's a certain segment of the Republican base that's going to say, hey, she, she's a victim. Here you have all these people that are trying to, you know, take her take her out, and they're so afraid of these ideas that they're, they're trying to limit this woman who's been duly elected. And then, you know, what about the kooks on the left? You know, what, what, what about them? I guess the bottom line is, I think, first of all, it, it, the, the smart thing for her to do would have been to have stepped down from the Education Committee, because I understand the Sandy Hook stuff, and I think one of our texters made that point, the Sandy Hook stuff, you know, denying and suggesting that that was a false flag event, that's that's kind of tough to get over if you're going to be on the Education Committee. I think they could have probably picked a more benign committee to put her on where it, it would not have been as controversial. If you strip her, though, of these committee assignments, as opposed to just ignoring her and not giving her any work to do and things of the like, you make her a martyr. And, and maybe that's what some of the Democrats want to do, again, in an effort to try to split the Republicans. Let's talk to Mark in Florida. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my phone call. Um, sure. I guess I, I summing up what I'm saying was, is with one word, rehabilitation. We have case after case after case. Okay, where people that had a tough upbringing or that committed crimes or whatever saw the light, so to speak, received some good information and rehabilitated themselves. A friend of mine, and this is years ago, told me when he was going to school at UWM, right downtown Milwaukee, that the Lutheran minister on campus was a reformed, hardcore criminal who spent quite a few years in Waupon. Can we not give this lady the benefit of the doubt until she does something stupid in Congress? Okay, I don't think her congressional committees are going to go let her go out 
and cane somebody like used to happen in the Congress back in the late 1860s. I don't think she can take somebody's life. Maybe this lady is doing a reverse of the left side. And I flash back to Ilhan Omar calling for mm-hmm. the destruction of the Jewish race, calling right. for the destruction of American capitalism. Innocent until proven guilty, Jeff. Maybe she's rehabilitated. Maybe she has something to offer. Well, but at the same time, Mark, and I, I appreciate what you're saying, I don't get the sense at this point that she's particularly repentant for most of the stuff that, that she has said. Now, I, I don't, I mean, I, I can't say that she hasn't backed off on, on all of it, but I mean, over the last, you know, month or so, she's been very, very aggressive and she said, hey, I've got the full support of President Trump and, and all these things. I, I don't get her, the idea that, for example, she's backing away on the election was stolen sort of thing. So, I mean, I, I don't, it's not like, oh, gee, I was incredibly misinformed about all these things. At least that's my sense. It's so, I mean, because for rehabilitation, isn't and- the first step to acknowledge that you were wrong? Can can I add then, Jeff, as I mentioned to your producer, um, maybe this is the counterbalance we need in Congress so that the Congress in general says, no, these kinds of statements step outside the bounds, whether you're liberal left, whether you're extreme right, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe this is the counterbalance we need. Well, thanks for call. Well, that's I mean, that, that I guess is that is now what the issue is, is going to be. And I, I think that's the issue that some Democrats have to wrestle with. Now, I understand, like I say, this is and, and I, I'm not defending Marjorie Taylor Greene. But at the same time, you take her off these committees, you, you make her a, a martyr. What I she look, she, she's somebody that nobody had ever heard of until a couple weeks ago. She's a backbencher from Georgia who, in all likelihood, will probably not be reelected if she runs again two years from now. She won because she came out of a, a heavily Republican district and she won an eight way primary. So that that's you know, that that's the, the dynamics of this. My guess is that. This is going to be her only term in in Congress. I think the better way to deal with this is just to kind of marginalize her as opposed to trying to make her a martyr. But you do open this this floodgate because that then becomes the question, you know, what what are we going to do moving forward? But should we do we want Congress? under the guise of policing its own. And look, and I, I, I'll be the first to tell you, I think this woman's comments are beyond the pale. But, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of stuff. When, when Maxine Waters says, I, I think people should go out and they should be confronting members of the Trump administration when they're sitting and having dinner, they have a, an obligation to get into people's faces. And I mean, I think that was beyond the pale, too. Now, it's not the same as being a, a, a denier of that a plane flew into the Pentagon or anything like that. But do we really want to be saying, OK, we're, we're going to look at the kook meter here and we're going to de- use that as a basis for deciding whether it should be in Congress or whether you should um, serve on certain committees? That's what the danger of this is. It would be nice if she just kind of stepped down voluntarily. That would be a good thing to do and try to, to your point, Mark, try to either rehabilitate herself through her work or, or whatever, you know, put in her time, try to advance herself. That would be good, I think, for the Republican Party in general. But she's being held up as an example. She's, this is 
it's going to be a political show vote because the headlines are going to be, again, Republican representatives didn't vote to remove her from the committee assignments. And look, you know, she thought that the uh, Parkland, Florida shooting didn't happen. So you know this is being used as a wedge against Republicans. She could help that. But by taking her off the committees, you make her a martyr. And I'm not sure that's what you really want to do. And you set a really, I think, questionable precedent moving forward for other people who are on the fringes of their parties. All right, back with much more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. This is I, during the break. I was just looking through some things. Um, the impeachment trial of President Trump. Doesn't it seem like that whole issue is so 2020? The impeachment trial of President Trump in the Senate is supposed to start next week, and as, as we've talked about to a great extent, it's not the way I would go. I would have done a resolution of censure because here, here's what's going to happen. The, the results are pretty much preordained. You need a two-thirds vote of the Senate to convict President, former President Trump. You're, you're not going to get that. And again, this just like a lot of the stuff that's going on with the representative Marjorie Taylor Greene is all about show. That the, the Trump thing, it, it's a it's a political show trial because everybody knows that they're not going to get enough votes to convict him. And he's already out of office. So by convicting him, you you really don't do anything except arguably then you could have a second vote to prevent him from running for future office but he's not going to run for future office and if he does that would be a gold mine for democrats because if he couldn't win as a sitting president he's not going to win four years from now that's just the political reality but we're going to go ahead we're going to have the impeachment he's going to be acquitted and then you're going to have people on the record so when some senator runs for re-election two years from now or four years from now uh, well he voted uh, to impeach president trump or he or she voted not to impeach President Trump, and it's more about a campaign issue than anything else in the real world. But the the interesting thing is the Democrats, these are the House Democrats who are going to be prosecuting the case in front of the Senate, they are demanding that the President testify under oath and subject to cross-examination about you know some of the things he said and what his meanings were um i all, all i have to tell you is there, there is there, there's no way that any lawyer would agree to allow president trump to appear and be subject to cross-examination can you imagine what a circus that particular thing would be if you were again some of these representatives in congress were asking president trump stuff under oath and he were responding can you just imagine it would be great political theater i'm just telling you it's it's not going to happen whether it should or not it's not going to happen president trump is not going to go anywhere near he might want to make a statement but there's no way he's going to be testifying under oath before congress during an impeachment trial and again if, if if I were President Trump, I, I just I'd stay away from the thing because the, the truth of the matter is, you know where the votes are. <clears throat> you know, as I said, the over under on impeachment is it's probably about eight. I, that would be my guess as to how many Republican senators you might peel away. But regardless, you're not going to get to 67. You're, you're just not. And we'll have the trial. It will be over and then we'll move on. And and two weeks from now, there will be some people who won't be able to let it go. But 
we, we could have done other things to express displeasure, uh, but people want to have the impeachment trial, so we'll have the impeachment trial, and the results will be what the results are. Okay, do we follow the science or don't we? For the last, well, going on a year, you know, I've been I've been hearing that when it comes to issues related to COVID, we need to follow the science. And if science says this, then that is what we have to do. Now, my problem has been that the science has been unclear as to certain things or that some ideas haven't necessarily been backed by science. I mean, we've got to follow the science on COVID, and that was used to justify some of the massive economy-killing lockdowns that we had early on. Well, I'm not sure that the science really justified that. Initially, the science told us you don't have to wear masks. Then science reassessed, and the science said, now you do have to wear masks. So, okay, that, that's all well and good. But when the science starts to coalesce, do we follow it or don't we? which brings me to the subject of schools and teachers. For many of you, your kids or your grandkids have been back in school with in-person instruction. Maybe it's because your kids go to a parochial school or a private school. Maybe it's because they go to a public school outside of one of the urban er- major urban areas. Um, maybe they go full-time. There's a number of schools that have been back five days a week since the beginning. Maybe they, they do a hybrid sort of thing. Maybe it's two days in person and then it's two days virtual with one day off to clean the schools or, or whatever. All, all those are different possibilities. But one of the things we now know is the science says that you can open schools to in-person learning without substantially increasing the risk of COVID-19. Well, don't believe me? Well, believe Dr. Rochelle Walensky. She is the director for the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. Now, remember, this is the same CDC that was criticized roundly by President Trump, and then he was criticized roundly by, you know, not following the recommendations of the CDC. Well, Joe Biden, to his credit, wants to reopen the schools to in-person learning. Joe Biden understands that having the kids trapped in the cycle of remote learning is not a good thing, and you need to get the kids back. So let's follow the science. And it, it's very, very clear. I mean, again, this is, this is what the head of the CDC says. There is a growing body of evidence that says schools can safely reopen without vaccinated teachers. Vaccination of the teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of the schools, the CDC head said yesterday. She says this means that every school has the equipment and the resources to open safely, not just private schools, not just schools in wealthy areas, but all schools. All right, they've got the resources to do that. And again, consistent with the science, what the investigations are finding is that coronavirus transmission at schools is extremely low when mask wearing and social distancing measures are taken. That's what the science says. So the Milwaukee Public Schools, they remain closed to in-person instruction and as a practical matter probably will be closed for the rest of the year. Chicago 
is involved in a huge dispute with their teachers. The mayor of Chicago, as we talked about, I think, last week, the mayor of Chicago has ordered the schools reopened. K through 8 were supposed to start in person on a on a hybrid fashion, you know, two days in and then, you know, two days virtual. But the teachers were supposed to be back teaching in person. The teachers' union is refusing to send the teachers back. And so they've been threatening to go out on strike, and the matter is kind of at an impasse right now. But if we follow the science, and science says it's safe even without the teachers being vaccinated, isn't it time to say once and for all, back to in-person learning five days a week? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I just, if we all agree that remote learning is not, it's either, if you don't want to say complete failure, that's fine. It's a complete failure for some kids. But for others, it's not optimal. And for some, it's just sort of like non-existent. You see these staggering numbers of kids who are failing one or more classes. And, and it's all because that the system isn't set up well, the Internet instruction is just difficult for them. They need to be back in the classrooms. Now the CDC says you can come back in the classrooms, you can do it safely. No verified evidence that in-person instruction, as long as you have mask wearing and social distancing, no verified evidence that this leads to the spread of COVID-19. Well, if the science says that, Shouldn't we follow the science? Shouldn't we do what Joe Biden says? Shouldn't we do what the CDC director for Joe Biden says? And that is reopen the schools like right now. My answer would be, what are we waiting for? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, it seems to me we're, we're either going to follow the science or we're not. And the, the CDC is out there saying very, very clearly and definitively, there's no reason why you cannot reopen schools, public schools, private schools, parochial schools. There's no reason why you cannot reopen the schools to in-person learning without the teachers being vaccinated. And the CDC is very, very clear. They're saying, look, we've looked at all these different studies that are out there, and we find that coronavirus transmission at schools is very low when mask wearing and social distancing measures are taken. And that's the experience based on the schools that have been open. Jeff, I call, but I get too upset when I talk about it. Up here in Green Bay, we are fighting with the Board of Education to get these kids back in school. We have over 37% of the kids that have never even logged on, or they have decreased amount of credits needed for kids to graduate because this instruction is failing our kids. They need to be in school. All the surrounding schools in the area are back. Most are back full five days face-to-face. The Green Bay School Board is just failing our kids. Um, Jeff, the conclusion is, is obvious. Um, the teachers, well, then it's very critical of the teachers. Well, I, I look, all, all I'm saying is the science appears to be what the science is. Let's talk to John in Wauwatosa. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey there, Jeff. Hi, John. Um, I've got, you know, I I think that, yeah, absolutely. Following the science is definitely critical. And I think the key part in that aspect is that if mask wearing and social distancing is maintained, 
My mother, who is a teacher, they have been in person the entire year, something that they're running into as they are becoming full volume in person is that the school is not big enough to hold um, all of these kids at a six-foot distance. My mother, who's a science teacher, is very lucky to have a large lab in the back of her classroom where she can spread out her entire room, but smaller rooms, maybe similar to what an English classroom would be, are not quite big enough to hold the kids. But if you're able to keep everybody's social distance wearing a mask and the science is saying, yes, that's appropriate, I agree. Let's open up the schools. These kids need the education. Sure. Or at the very least, in the situation that you're talking about, if the school is, is too small to, to maintain whatever the social standards are, well, then then maybe you do the hybrid model. You, you have the teachers back in class, but you have, you know, like two days on and then two days off. You know, you alternate because that's the way some schools started. And obviously, you know, John, you don't want to be stupid. If, if there's a situation where you end up having an outbreak, well, as has happened in some school districts, well, then what you do is you, you, you close for a week or you, you go back. But you you give it a try, and I think what they're finding is that, as a general rule, you can do it safely. So my response would be, if you can do it safely, why not do it? Agreed. Absolutely. I think that the kids are really starting to hurt. My wife's a kindergarten teacher, and they're doing all virtual. You can't tell me that those kindergartners are getting much out of virtual training. Right. Yeah, thanks to call. I appreciate it. Well, that's, you know, I've said this before. One of my son-in-laws is a special education teacher, and... It it just he'll be the first to tell you it it doesn't work online. I mean it, it just special education is a particular you know it's a particular breed of animal that you you need you you need that in person you need the interaction the the personal interaction that you just don't get on with the computers. Jeff, my daughter opted for the virtual education this year. She's doing great with her grades, but she is talking to me about the anxiety she feels about going back and over communication via social media. All these kids are doing because they're not in school. Idle hands are the devil's playground. Jeff, totally agree. Good luck rationalizing with certain districts who call snow days when they are virtual. Looking at you in Madison. Yeah, I'll I'll mention that in just a couple minutes. Uh, Jeff, the CDC just threw an inconvenient truth into the lap of the science cherry pickers, a.k.a. the teachers union. Props to Biden for going against his political base on this one. Yeah, that's why I started this out. This is Joe Biden recognizes you got to get the kids back in school. Joe Biden, one of his bases of support are the teachers' unions, and Joe Biden is saying, look, this is what the science says. The science says it's safe to be back in classes. The CDC says there's no reason not to be back in classes, so why aren't we back in classes? Here's the texter. Kids need to be back in school not only to learn, but to reverse the trend in depression, addiction, and... um, suicide. Jeff, uh, this is from Bob in Arizona. Science is not about certainty. It's extremely reliable, but it's not certain. In fact, it's not only not certain, but it's the lack of certainty that grounds it. We're always learning more than we knew yesterday. Well, okay, I understand, and that's why you had originally the science said wearing masks doesn't make any difference. And then a couple months later, they adjusted and said, no, no, we, we think based on this particular virus, we, we think it, it is appropriate to wear masks. And, and I understand. And so maybe, just maybe, that would have justified an opinion at the beginning of the pandemic saying, well, you, you can't have these kids back in school because there's no way with wearing masks and even social distancing that you're going to be able to not have these just be a, a, a little Petri dish of COVID. 
All right, I understand. Maybe that would be the initial conclusion. But now a year into this, with schools that have reopened and analysis and seeing how this spreads, we now know, unless you don't believe the CDC, we now know that you can open schools and you can do it safely, so why not? Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. When we come back after the news, a couple of you were alluding to this. Uh, there, the, the Madison School District is closed today. They're having a snow day. Yeah, they're, they're closed today. They're having a snow day. Now, what makes this interesting is it's virtual learning. So it's virtual learning, and you're having a snow day. All right, so what, what does that mean? Instead of the kids being in front of their computers and, and trying to learn, they can go out and they can do sledding or whatever. It's virtual learning, and it's a snow day. We will discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, the Madison School District has been on virtual learning since, well, like last March, so for, for going on a, a year. And for the third quarter, it's, it's virtual learning, no kids in classrooms. The only exceptions are there. there's for people who have like the daycare, the day-long daycare, that it's called like MSCR Cares. That's still going on. And there are some special education classes that, that are in person. But otherwise, it's all virtual learning. So this, I struck some people as being sort of surprising yesterday when on the Facebook page for the Madison Schools, they put out the announcement, virtual learning is canceled for Thursday, February 4th, and all MMSD facilities will be closed Thursday due to winter weather. So um, they've closed it. So I, I understand on the one hand, if, if you think the weather is too treacherous for the, the daycare thing to operate or the special education, okay, maybe, maybe you could close the facility for that. But for all the virtual learning. And so this, this has a number of questions. I was looking at their Facebook page, for example, and some of the people who are out there are saying, um, you know, what, what, what's going on? Canceling virtual learning is bad. You give no reason. All kids and teachers are at home. What little education kids get, you take away. Why? And then it, it goes on. Another one says, why is virtual learning canceled? I don't understand. Parents who can work remotely still have to work, but now our kids have no educational programming. This is bad. So if you've got, it, it's, it's a fair question, I think. If you've got, if you've got virtual learning and the kids aren't there in the first place, so there's no buses to worry about and things like that, why, why would you cancel classes? All right, so they make this announcement. Here is the decision. This is what they, they write about it. MMSD's decision to cancel virtual learning as well as closing school buildings as a result of today's inclement weather was an equity-based decision. The Madison uh, School District is working hard to strike a balance between ensuring continuity of learning for our students while making sure our student participants in the daycare or in-person special education programming do not fall further behind via not being able to transition to virtual platforms on short notice. 
Um, MMSD is already in a virtual instruction model. Today's weather event has had minimal effect on our students and staff. That's what they said last week when they didn't cancel. So this week, they've made the decision to cancel virtual learning. And the justification is, well, we, we, we have some special education kids who are in who come in in person, they're not going to be able to come in because of the weather, so we don't want them to fall further behind, so we're going to cancel everything? I'm sorry, that makes absolutely no sense at all. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You would think that one of the beauties of doing the virtual learning is that you don't need snow days anymore. You are immune to that. And if the justification for doing this is the fact that, well, there's a couple kids who are in-person learning, and if you have a virtual day of learning for everybody else and those kids who are in in-person can't do it, well, they're going to fall further behind, so it's better to have nobody being taught? I'm sorry. That makes no sense at all. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let, let's, let, let us tee this up. Is there any justification at all when you are virtual for declaring a, a snow day and the justification that, well, we have a, a relative handful of kids who aren't going to be able to come into school to begin with, um, that, so that means that we, we shouldn't teach anybody else? I just, I flat out don't get it. One of the other things they say, and this is the interesting thing as well, as well, because we have been virtual and because it's been a mild winter, we're, we're way ahead on snow days, so we, we have extra days that we don't need to teach. So wink, wink, nod, nod, we'll give everybody a vacation day. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, it's not a vacation day, of course, for those of you who, you know, have been working remotely at home Anyways, let's see. Um, Jeff, only in Madison, the continuation of dumbing down students, enough said. Um, <laughs> let's see, Jeff, we had a snow day, the last big snow, and our kids, some stay at home, some are hybrid, their choice. Snow days are built into the calendar year. Our superintendent basically said the kids need to go out, let them build a snowman, play in the snow. I think a snow day is okay. Well, then let's not call them snow days. Let's just say we're going to have vacation days. And, and But then let's not even make any pretense about this. We're going to give kids even more days off. And mom and dad, you guys figure out how this works out. 855-616-1620. A snow day for virtual learning? We discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are just tuning in, the Madison School District, which which is virtual, has announced that they're closed today. They announced this last night because they're of a snow day. And, of course, the operative question is, well, if everybody's at home to begin with, why do you need to close and stop educating for snow days? And their justification is, well, we have the, the school is open for some in-person stuff, for the special education kids and for our daycare program. So since it's going to be closed for that, we don't think it's fair to have the overwhelming majority of other kids have to be taught 
<laughs> really? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, West Bend just eliminates snow days for in-person students by making them go virtual on those days. Yes. Jeff, how ridiculous. The schools have been virtual since last March. Kids can enjoy the snow after class day and on weekends. This just reinforces my belief of the incredible amount of waste in public schools. Jeff, this is not trivial. I think this is an outrage. Okay, 855-616-1620. Jeff, what a sweet deal. Not only don't the kids and staff ever have to go to school, they get snow days off from fake school. It must be genius because I simply do not get it. Um, Jeff, you're surprised. It is Madison, after all. Jeff, I'm sure the kids are happy. Well, I have no doubt that the kids are are happy but this is supposedly the advantage of snowden plus i'm not sure that that that's the whole other issue now look i i understand we're getting snow across the state but last week the madison school district made exactly the opposite decision they said look there's no reason for us to close down these schools it's virtual learning so they went ahead and had classes and so now they've did, done a complete and total switch around. Now they've said, well, today we're not. Look, here's the bottom line. I understand what's driving this. The idea, it's not whether there's any rational justification for not having school. What there's What is going on and the dynamic of what is going on is, well, the school builds in, the state builds in X number of snow days, vacation days or whatever. We haven't had to use them. So what the heck, let's just give everybody a vacation day. Well, all right, given the fact that you have kids who are struggling right now and have been struggling, the idea of just another free day off when it's not justified would strike, I think, most reasonable people as being nothing short of crazy. But yet, that's, um, I guess, what you get due to inclement weather. Um, this is what you're going to do. Due to inclement weather, we're just going to allow the virtual kids to have a snow day. Hopefully they won't be going outside and building virtual snowmen. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Looks like the snow is starting in the Milwaukee area. Um, the story is going to be a moderate snowfall. It doesn't sound like this is going to be one of the huge snowstorms like we got twice last week, but it does sound like the snow concentration is going to be a little bit wet, so you want to be careful. The roads will undoubtedly be slick. Um, in addition to that, uh, the, the big story, I think, is after the snowfalls, you want to get it off the ground as quickly as possible because we are finally going to get hit with a prolonged stretch of really, really cold weather, and pretty much especially given what they're saying is going to be the moisture content of the snow that we're getting, even if it's only a couple inches. Um, once this cold weather blows through, that stuff's going to be stuck on there, and it's going to be, probably be around for the next week or so. So if you don't want to be hobbling over you know, ice things on the roads, you want to get it off the roads just as quickly as you possibly can. All right, a couple interesting stories. One of the... I understand there's some people who are very, very upset about 
the, the mail-in voting that, that's gone on. And I understand there's some people who think you could completely do away with this. And, and my point has always been we, we've always had mail-in voting. I mean, the first time I voted for president, I was away at college. I, I mean, I voted absentee, and they sent me my ballot when I was in college, and I filled it out, and I sent it back in. Now, mail-in voting has become more and more popular, and, and my guess is that's going to only continue. So for people out there saying, oh, we should eliminate mail-in voting and that stuff, it, it's, it's just not going to happen. I do think that there are things that we can and should do to make sure that the the votes are as accurate as possible and that people who aren't legally entitled to vote don't don't vote. And I, I'm less worried. I know some people are upset about some of the ballot collection things. And in all honesty, look, as, to me, the question is, if you get a ballot and you're able to return the ballot, does it really make any difference whether you drop it off at a table in a park and give it to an elections representative or you put it in a drop box or you put a stamp on it and send it back? Does, does that really make any difference? To me, the ultimate question is, is the person who's casting the ballot legally entitled to cast that vote? And that's where I, I think the, the questions need to be. Now, in that regard, one of the things that I think is very, very legitimate is we, we've got to clean up the voting rolls because what happens is people move, people die, and that their names aren't taken off the voting rolls. So we have a law in Wisconsin that says, here's the deal, if you go a certain length of time and you haven't voted, or alternatively, if vote, election officials get an indication that you have moved, Okay, what's an indication that you've moved? Well, they get a notice from the DMV, for example, saying that you, you've, changed your, you've changed your automobile registration. All right? That's sort of prima facie evidence to believe that you've moved. Now, I understand there might be that unicorn out there. Maybe you're, I don't know, you've changed your automobile registration because... You don't want to pay the extra wheel tax to live to have your car registered in Milwaukee. So what you're doing is you're trying to get around that by registering your car at your parents' house in in West Bend or something. So, but you still live in Milwaukee. I understand that those things might happen, but that's that's not going to be the common situation. If you notify the post office that you've changed your address, or you notify the DMV that you've changed your address, chances are you have moved. That's the chances. So the way the law works right now is that if the elections board gets a notification from, like, the post office or the DMV saying that you've changed your address, what they do is they send a postcard to your last known address, the address that, you know, your your old address. For example, I used to live in Whitefish Bay. So they'd send the notice to my address in Whitefish Bay. If I'm still living there... All I have to do is return the card and say, no, I'm, I'm still living here. No questions asked. You stay on the voter rolls in Whitefish Bay. Well, if you don't, the law says you're supposed to be stricken from the, the rolls. And you had um, essentially some liberal-leaning groups who went to court to challenge this, thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible. You're going to have hundreds of thousands of people who are going to be disenfranchised by this. And... My point was, well, well, no, nobody's going to be disenfranchised because you might find the unicorn. You might find that, that one person who, again, changed their address 
told the post office they had a different address or changed their auto registration, you might find that one in 100,000 who had a reason for doing that and was still voting in the same place. But but that, again, that's going to be the unicorn. And since we have same-day registration, there, there's no problem. You you go to the polls and you find out that, you know, you've been removed because you didn't return the card and there's indications that you live somewhere else. It, it's no problem. You you just you re-register and, and you're, you're allowed to vote in the spot as long as you, you live there. We have same-day registration. But this matters in court. Oh, how dare these voting rolls be, polled, be purged? And to me, if you're going to have this this bail-in voting thing. At the very least, you have to be aggressive in making certain that the voting rolls, the people who are requesting the ballots to subsequently submit them, those people are legitimately entitled to vote. And the easiest way to do that is to make sure you get all the dead people or the people that have moved off the list. Anyhow, the, the follow-up to this is apparently the the group right now that they're looking at that, that should be removed, 72,000 Wisconsinites. And there's a report that's, that's now out there saying that those 72,000 Wisconsinites that should be off the rolls, none of them voted in the November election. Now, that's good news because it means that there wasn't, like, rampant fraud. It's also, though, a justification for getting them off the rolls. If they're not there... They're not voting, and that's all a good thing, but then they shouldn't be on the rolls in the first place, which is why the system we have needs to be aggressively enforced. Mail-in voting is here to stay. That's just the reality, like it or not. But as a follow-up to that, we've got to make sure that the people who are getting the ballots and are sending them in, we've got to make sure they're legally entitled to do it, and the key to that starts with making sure the voting rolls are current. It's that simple. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Kind of like a snow globe out there right now, getting a lot of snow. Uh, good news is it's not going to be as much snow as it was last week in the two events that we had. Bad news, it's going to be followed by what looks like a week of brutal cold. So, um, even though it's early to mid-February, there's still some winter going on here. So if you're out and about, be sure to drive carefully. Just a quick programming note. I'm, I'm scheduled, I have a day off tomorrow. Um, just got some medical stuff going on. Nothing serious. Um, so I'm off tomorrow. So this is my last show of the week. Back Monday, 12 noon, when we do this all again. So coming up in the 2.30 segment. Now, typically on the last day of the week, on Fridays, we do a segment called Pop Culture Corner. This isn't quite Pop Culture Corner, but it is going to be a fun segment called I Can Name That Tune. So I will explain and stick around. We'll have a little bit of fun in the next half hour of the program. All right. For people who think I cut no slack to the new president, Joe Biden, and that, by the way, is is untrue. I, this Earlier in the show, I was talking about, I think, Biden right on by saying, hey, it's time for in-person learning in schools to resume. He understands how important it is, and his CDC director says, hey, it's time to go back. There's no risk. I think Biden is absolutely right on that. We have broken down over the last couple weeks some of the aspects of this big pandemic relief program that he wants to implement. Some of the stuff I have no issues with. 
Others, I, I think, are bad ideas. We've talked about the minimum wage, raising it to 15 bucks an hour. I think that that would be economically devastating to a lot of businesses. And, yes, it might raise the salaries and income of some people, but at the same time, it's going to also put a lot of businesses out of business and put a lot of other people out of work. I'm not in favor of raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. I'm not in favor of doing away with the tipped minimum wage. I think that uh, a lot of restaurant workers and servers wouldn't like that. That That's just one of the examples of this. And plus, I mean, I think the minimum wage, if you want to discuss that one way or the other, it, it doesn't belong in a coronavirus relief package. It, it's something that's completely independent and should be considered and should be voted on. One of the other things that I have not been sold on at all is the second round of stimulus payments. I think President Trump was dead wrong in the, you know, right before the election when he started pushing for another round of $2,000 stimulus payments to, to everybody. And I thought, you know, that was just an effort to pander to voters. My point has been that the impact of the pandemic has been felt differently by, by different people. There's some people who, who lost their jobs, haven't been able to find a new job. Um, there's some people who um, found that their businesses were closed and, and you know they don't know what to do now. But you have other people who, who've been just fine during the pandemic from an economic standpoint. They haven't been affected at all. Their workplaces continue to operate. They've continued to go to work. It, it hasn't affected them one way or the other, other than the fact that it's inconvenienced a lot of us. So to just lump everybody into the same category, I think, is wrong. Now, I understand why we did the first stimulus proposal that, that we did. We, we sent all this money to everybody because we didn't have a way of sorting out who should get it and who shouldn't get it. It was like, all right, we, we've got this huge economic thing that's just hit, boom. We've had this bomb that's been dropped on the economy. We need to get money in people's hands as quickly as possible. So we're just going to set these these arbitrary limits, and we're going to you know send out money. And what they ended up doing is, you know, money went to people individually. It was all based on your adjusted gross income. They looked at that line 30, whatever it is, on on your federal tax return. And if you made under $75,000, you got the full boat of stimulus. And if it was a family of two, you know, um, you got $150,000. That was it. If you and your spouse made less than $150,000, boom, we're we're giving you the money. And it doesn't matter whether you're still making $150,000 or whether, you know, you're you're making $200,000 or $250,000. We're going to send you this money. And it resulted in the situation, and we've talked about this before, where a lot of people who got taxpayer dollars did not deserve them. Oh, Jeff, what do you mean when you say didn't deserve them? I said, I mean exactly they didn't deserve them. It was just, and they didn't need the money. It, it was just the, the ultimate form of, of handout. They weren't negatively affected by COVID-19. And in many cases, and I know several people, I've told this story, I know several people who, number one, weren't affected by COVID-19, and secondly, have a lot of money. 
but it wasn't necessarily reflected on one line of your 2019 income taxes or your 2018 income taxes or whatever it is. It might be, hey, you could have three or four million dollars sitting in retirement accounts, but but boom, because last year your adjusted gross income was only $85,000 or whatever, you get the full boat. You didn't need that money. And the money is supposed to go to the people who need it and have been affected. Well, anyhow, Biden, everybody got 600 bucks based on that, that same sort of limit from last year. Biden wants to send an extra $1,400 to people, raising this to, to two that would be like $2,000 to everybody. You've got Republicans in Congress who are in the Senate who are trying to say, wait a second, look, we, we need to figure out a better way to do this because we don't have $2 trillion that we can spend. So here's what we want to do. What we suggest is let's lower the income limit. So instead of $75,000 adjusted gross income for someone and married couples earning up to $150,000, let, let's, let's lower it. Let's reduce it to $50,000 to get the full 1400 payment. So single person, 50000 bucks or lower, you get the 1400 Married couples... Um, $100,000. You'd get 2800 bucks. But let's lower this to more accurately reflect the fact that it's going to people who are more likely to need it. Now, I think, candidly, you could be more targeted than this. But I understand there's questions about, well, how do you decide who needs it or whatever. In any event, I think this is a good start. And Biden is apparently, the president's apparently indicated that, that he's open to discussing this. Now, whether some of the more liberal Democrats in the House of Representatives are willing to sign on because they want to send all this money out, but the president is at least willing to say, look, okay, I, I'm willing to talk about lowering the thresholds or lowering the limits as to which you, what you qualify for money. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually think that this is a good start, and it makes a lot more sense to me to limit, if you're going to start drawing limits, rather than saying, hey, $150,000 for two taxpayers, lower it to 100000 Now, I think you might be able to make an argument that you could lower it or put other criteria in, but we haven't been able to figure that out. But lowering the limits that you qualify for the full boat of benefits I think is a good idea, and I think it is fiscally responsible. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just sending money to people who haven't been adversely affected the pandemic makes no sense to me, especially since there aren't giant money trees that you walk out into the, your backyard in, in Washington, D.C., and, and rattle. That money comes from somewhere. $1.9 trillion is the cost of the president's economic package, and that's a cost that's going to be borne by, well, your kids and your grandkids and, and the like. So my point has been we need to target extra stimulus payments better. Now, I think that there should be, and I've tried to outline in the past different ways to go about that, but lawmakers haven't done it. So it, right now it's based, again, completely on income. Well, one of the things Republican senators are saying to the president, and he appears open to it, is, hey, instead of 
$75,000 for single taxpayers, that being the, the limit for income, or a married couple making 150000 Can't we target it better? Roll this down a little. People $50,000 um, or, or below, or married couples with $100,000 or below. And there's also, by the way, a child care stimulus that's built in there, too. I think that this is a good start. 855-616-1620. Jeff. They don't. They do deserve it. They might not need it, but they deserve it. They are Americans and pay taxes. Send everyone checks or no one. Okay. Well, I, that's an interesting point of view. If that's going to be the attitude that we want to send everybody checks, fine. Send everybody checks, but don't pick out. You know, winners and losers. The, the justification for these income limits is we want to help the people that have been adversely affected by COVID-19. And so we're going to try to do this, and we're going to look at this adjusted gross income, even though that is not representative necessarily at all of people who've been impacted by the pandemic. Well, yeah, if you just want to say, hey, we're, we're just we're going to hand out money, and we're just going to make this a targeted form of tax release relief, and you want to send all Americans $2,000, well, well, at least intellectually, that would make sense. Jeff, I agreed. Well-paid government workers or teachers that really didn't have any salary cuts or furloughs shouldn't be entitled to this. And again, I, I don't, I, I don't mean to single out particular groups, but but yeah, you you take a situation like that where you have a, a government. Let, let's just uh, somebody that works for the state or works for the federal government, just for the sake of example, who wasn't furloughed, whose job isn't in danger, who's made as much money this year as they made last year, whose circumstances are completely and totally unaffected by COVID, what, why do you just send that person $2,000 on top of the money that you've already sent them? I, I think, if anything, you can make the argument that what we need to do is perhaps do a better job of of, of identifying the people that have been adversely affected and figure out how to get them the money. Julio in Milwaukee, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi. Um, I agree with you. I think they could uh, address or figure out who needs the money more through uh, possibly unemployment. Uh, everybody who's been out of a job and who clearly was out of a job probably had filed for unemployment, so I think that would be an easier tool for them to use to figure out who needs it more. Well, at least, it, right, it's a, it's a good starting point as opposed to, again, somebody who, you know, hasn't been impacted a, at all. I mean, look, like last year, well, and look, I, I understand that there's some people who, you know, kept working but had to take pay cuts or, or whatever, but still, regardless, there's a lot of people who it, it, the, the pandemic didn't affect their income at all. Why are we bailing out right. those people? And yeah, no. Thanks for the call. I get to see that's that that's the point. But but what really set me off is that with these high income levels, what you have is you have a lot of people that are getting taxpayer dollars who who know don't weren't adversely affected and don't need that that money if the idea behind this is we're trying to help the people who are in need we're trying to help the people who can't pay their rent why in god's green earth are we sending you know twenty eight hundred dollars for example to a a couple in their 
mid-60s whose adjusted gross income was $125,000 because they're living on that, but have retirement income of uh, retirement accounts of two, three, four million or pensions or whatever who weren't affected by this. This is nothing but a a government handout that we're going to have to pay for at some time or another. I think, and when we talked about a variation of this topic last week, I heard from a lady who was saying, hey, I I lost my job. I haven't been able to make my rent payments in several months, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, look, I get it. I think you can make a strong situation of argument for somebody in that case for maybe figuring out a way to get them more than $1,400. I, I fully understand that. But again, in the examples I'm giving, to send the, the person that hasn't been adversely affected all this money, um, no. If you have people on unemployment are making more money than me, I work 40 hours a week. Um, Jeff, Republicans didn't care that Trump added over $13 trillion to the deficit. Now it's an issue. My taxes go up all the time. I didn't like the money when Walker handed it out. Well, Walker was giving back a surplus. I think that's what the texter is referring to. And, and yeah, I, I'm not in favor of the deficit. But, you know, from people on the left, I, I, don't, I don't understand because you should be you should be outraged, aren't you, at the, the rich getting richer. I thought you were, for people on the left, I thought this was all about let's help the unfortunate, let's help the people who need the money. I mean, just you know, sending money to somebody that, again, in my example, might have $3 million sitting in retirement IRAs and has an adjusted gross income between the two spouses of $145,000 a year. I mean, mortgaging your kids or your grandkids' future to send that person a couple thousand dollars, I would think that that would outrage people on the left. Jeff, how am I going to take my kids to Disney if we don't get that free money? Well, yeah, I think there's an example like that. Jeff, like tax breaks, shouldn't this just pay for itself? You give people money, they spend it, it creates activity. What's the difference? Well, when they do the studies, they, they find that it that, that does not translate. That This idea that you know we can take all this taxpayer money and we can give it to people and it's a dollar-for-dollar thing, most of the studies suggest that that's just not the case. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hiya, Jeff. Say, I just wanted to say I don't mind them lowering the limits down to fifty thousand to a hundred thousand. The thing that I don't like is that uh, my wife was laid off in March and she didn't go back to work until June. She did get unemployment and she did get the extra money. In July, I was diagnosed with cancer. Now the government has no way of knowing that I was diagnosed with cancer, and the government has no way of knowing the the bills that come in with a cancer patient. The thing mm-hmm. that I'm trying to say is that. You can set a limit for the money-wise, but let's not nitpick and say this person should get it, this person should get it, this person should get it, because every household, nobody knows what goes on when them doors close. So what I'm saying is the limit for fifty to $100,000, that's fine. But let's not start nitpicking and saying this person should get it and that person shouldn't get it, because you don't know what's going on inside them houses. Well, I guess my my first question to Tom would be, should it as a starting point, should it be based on on people that were adversely affected by by the pandemic? You know, people who like you were talking about, people who've lost their jobs. I mean, should people who whose lives are essentially unchanged? You know, they 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 were they were working before the pandemic. They've continued working you know, since the pandemic. They've made as as much money for people who haven't been affected at all by the pandemic. Should they get the dough? 
I don't agree with that, Jeff. I, 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 I say that, no, they shouldn't get the dough. But here's my point. Now, my wife was off from March until June. Mm-hmm. Now she's back to work. Now she, she shouldn't get it? I didn't say that. I mean, she, see, in your, I mean, thanks for the call, Tom. In your example, I, it's somebody who's been adversely affected by this. And a number of people are making the point that what about the people whose financial situation changed dramatically from, you know, 2018 to 2019 to 2020? Now, and the argument being, okay, your 2019 tax returns, might be dramatically different than your 2020 tax returns in your financial picture. In other words, people who might not have otherwise, people who might not have qualified for this based on what they had on their 2019 returns, based on 2020, which aren't going to be filed till April or whatever, maybe they would in fact qualify. And that goes back to my bigger argument about maybe there should be a better way of figuring this out as opposed to just that line with adjusted gross income. In any event, the president appears to be open to reducing the limits. I think that's a good thing. Mark the tape. I think if he's willing to follow through with that, that's a positive step. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.